Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. My name is Aaron Laxton. I'm alongside with Robert Brining. And this is Pause I Am, your 90-minute dose of hope, brought to you each Sunday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we bring the latest in gossip, celebrity news, policy, and legislation, among other things. We have an amazing show lined up for you tonight. We invite you to be a part of the conversation by calling in to 347-215-9442. That's 347-215-9442. You may also follow along on social media, Facebook and Twitter, or at pauseim.org and participate in the chat that will go on throughout the duration of this program. So sit down, buckle up, and enjoy the show. Your 90-minute dose of hope starts now. Good Sunday evening, Robert. This is the third day of November. This year has flown by, and uh, uh, hopefully you are adjusting to the new month. Uh, it is turning cold here. How is the weather there, Robert? Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Aaron. It is freezing up in Philly, over in Philly, um, where you are, Aaron. It is, it is very cold. Um, I literally am in my mom's basement hosting the show in a in a winter coat. <laughs> Believe it or not. I know. The the weather turned, just turned cold. Uh, we had a rain front that moved in uh, over, I guess, yesterday, and it was 69 the day before, and then just in a matter of hours, it, it got cold, um, which is why we call this misery. The weather can be 90 degrees one day and 20 below the next day. Horrible. It is, it is absurd, but I am, I'm glad to be here with you and, and our guest Scott later on and, and with everyone who's listening live. I'm excited. It's going to be a good show. Yeah. We have an amazing show lined up. We have uh, Scott Kramer, who is a licensed clinical social worker um, and an ACSW. He is a psychotherapist in private practice working with the LGBTQ community in New York City. In 2007, Scott graduated uh, from SUNY Stony Brook School of Social Welfare. Um, And so when he comes online, he'll talk more about his story and the great work that he does. I would like to remind listeners that if they want to participate in the conversation, they may do so at 347-215-9442. And as we do each and every week, I have news from around the blogosphere. And uh, here we go. You are hotness. Work that bond. Oh my God! Work that bond. Work it. Now do a little turn. You're doing great. You're a tiger. Oh, you're really an elephant. But I'm not gonna tell you that. I just want to know: Does everybody actually do like a dance whenever we play that sound? I, I, I know. <laughs> You're an elephant. I don't, All right, I don't so we, know if I, um, I laugh at that point every time. <laughs> you know, I, I went 
and I was looking for some more sounders, and they only got worse. I thought about just playing RuPaul's Cover Girl because you can never go wrong playing Cover Girl. Cover Girl. That's true. Oh, that's okay. Anyway, so I have news from around the blog sphere, as I said earlier. My computer is not working with me. Here we go. And I also have some great events. So I'll cover the events at the very tail end, but I came across an interesting article from our partners over at The Body, uh, the complete HIV AIDS um, resource, which we're both very fortunate that uh, you and I are both bloggers for them. Um, mm-hmm. But this was a very interesting article entitled Avoiding Tired Old AIDS Queen Syndrome. And this was, this was actually put out by David Salyer um, back in June. And in it he talks about, um, you know, basically what we, we've talked about many times on the show, uh, long-term survivors and, and how they can uh, – sometimes there's an attitude – uh, towards newer community members or newly infected. And, and he talked about the, the use of the biohazard symbol. Have you seen this, Robert? I have not seen that article, but I have seen people use uh, the biohazard symbol as a representation of being HIV positive, whether it's a tattoo or in some sort of imagery. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you feel like it's stigmatizing or do you feel like it's just empowerment? Um, I feel like it's, it is stigmatizing to a sense, but I feel like if you are the group that are stigmatizing and you're using it as a way of, you know, um, I guess being positive, um, they're using it as a way, I guess, to, I don't know, to kind of regain their status, to kind of take control of it again. So, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's a bad, I, I don't think, if somebody wants to get it, hey, get what you want. I mean, who am I to judge? So from this article, this was something, a line that stood out for me. And, and the author is telling, he's recounting his own story. But he used a line in it, and he said, unless you've lived through that period, um, presumably the, the plague era, um, you simply cannot possibly imagine how pervasive AIDS was or how hopeless things felt. And that really was, I mean, that stood out from the entire article. And um, there's about seven pages of it. But, and we often talk about the disconnect that a younger generation has um, in relation to HIV. They, you know, there's this idea, this cavalier attitude that, oh, you can just take one pill a day or, you know, this, that, or the other. And so it was very interesting to see a long-term survivors, uh, you know, thoughts of things, uh, he went on to say, you know, finally that brings me around to this phenomenon of HIV-positive men tattooing biohazard symbols on their body. Um, he, he went on to say, you know, he, thought it's, he thinks it's curious. It's a little troubling. He loves tattoos. But he wrestled with the fact that the symbol stands for toxicity, contamination, and danger. Um, as a means of communi- communicating your HIV-positive status to someone else with HIV, I don't think that a tattoo is a surefire shortcut. Um, I mean, I'll save my opinion, uh, you know, because I don't want to, you know, if you have one of these and that's for you, I think each one of us embraces our HIV status in different ways. So far be it for me to tell somebody that you're right or wrong for having a biohazard symbol um, tattooed on your body. I think it's kind of Do you? Yeah. I mean, I mean... mean it, it, 
But why not? I mean, I don't understand why people get so offended by it. It's like it, we're the group of people that it should offend. And if we are the ones getting it, then, you know, there shouldn't be a big deal about it. Like you said, who are we to tell people what to get on their body? Not everybody is going to put a red ribbon on their body. Not everybody's comfortable with that. So to have an alternate, you know, image, whether it be, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, um, a biohazard symbol or just a plus sign or the word positive or whatever you may choose to get on your body, um, I think that having that variety is important. Well, see, I will say, me personally, I will never get a red ribbon tattooed on me. That's just me. And this is the fact. This is why. Call me naive, call me stupid, call me a, a, a dreamer. I don't know. I am dreaming of that day when there is a cure and I no longer have HIV in my body, right? Right. And I don't want anything on my body reminding me of, of the time that I went through, um, you know, with HIV. I just don't. So it, to me, I kind of equate it the same way as like, you know, a Holocaust or survivors, they had the tattoos from the prison camps on them, right? Right. Um, and, and so for me, I don't want any reminder of the prison we've been in. That's just me. Whatever other people do, that's completely on them. So last week, you may have remembered that we had the phenomenal um, Peter Staley, who I just absolutely adore. I, it was an amazing show. And during that show, um, uh, Peter brought up a new um, organization from out in San Francisco uh, called Kick-Ass. And it's a group that is focusing on long-term survivors, um, those who've been living with HIV for a period of time. There's an interesting article in the Bay Area Reporter um, that uh, our friend um, uh, that hopefully will be on the show in the next uh, in November at some point, uh, Ted Anderson uh, sent me, and this is phenomenal. Uh, Kickass has already um, had some events um, during their public remarks on October 23rd. That event it drew more than 75 people to the LGBT Center, um, and uh, the following year, the agency held some forums on the topic at the AIDS conference that was attended. Um, and I think I'm, I'm getting some of this out of line, but you can read the entire um, story from the reporter. Um, and it talks about the, the failure to address the trauma, depression, the isolation that many long-term survivors have to face and they're now grappling with. Um, and so this is really the, the evidence of... Um, Let's kick ass. Um, to have a group that's particular to long-term survivors. So I will actually uh, copy that link and post it in the chat room. Some may have heard this week that journalist and pause contributor um, passed away, uh, Doug Ireland. He was a journalist who wrote about politics, the media, and LGBT issues. He passed away October 26th in New York City. Um, this was reported by the Gay City News or GCN. He was 67. Although no cause of death was immediately released, uh, he was in good health in recent years, including um, 
he, he did have two major strokes, diabetes and uh, a few other, he had childhood polio as well. Uh, he was a contributing editor for International Affairs at GCN, previously a columnist for the Village Voice and uh, the New York Magazine. He was a contributor editor for Pause, and early in his career he was involved in political campaigns, working as a staffer for former U.S. Senator Eugene McCarthy, a Democrat from Minnesota, who ran for U.S. President, and former U.S. Representative Bella Obzug from New York, who ran for State Senate uh, for New York. Some of you may have heard that our friend Jack McEnroe um, is part of a new social media campaign uh, called HIV Equal. Have you heard about this, Robert? Actually, I have. Yeah, so this is a unique um, uh, campaign in that um, it takes all different sorts of individuals, uh, Congressman Jim Hines, um, Jack McEnroe, uh, through his name uh, behind it, Harry Dixon, Olivia uh, Coppola, um, just to name a few. And those that would like to participate, um, you can look it up on Twitter at HIV Equal or Facebook, um, HIVEqual.org as well. And you're encouraged to take a photo um, with HIV Equals, um, and you can upload it, and it, there's all the instructions are on the website. That's HIVEqual.org. Maybe you can do that, Robert. Yeah, no, that's something I definitely would love to uh, get involved with. And, you know, Jack used to host the show with me um, back in the day, and I would love to have him come on and actually talk about this uh, campaign because you see these campaigns that go, you know, viral over social media, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, where these images are, are portraying hope, whether it be the No Hate campaign or you may see somebody posing with a Dabby AIDS bear you know, there's, or Mr. Friendly Pin. There's all these different things that people are doing, and, and I think it, it's great to have, uh, you know, this kind of concept. See, I, I came up with something today that I want to really push. Instead of people using DDF on Craigslist, Grindr, uh, Scruff, Mr., whatever the, the, the social media app may be, I want people to use PDF, prepped and drug-free. Let's drop the disease, right, and let's work with PDF. And if we can get that rolling, people will start using it, and uh, I think that will really embrace the sex-positive uh, model. So last week, uh, Osvaldo, who is part of the GMHC, um, sent me an offline message, and he also sent me a, a press release. GMHC is, has an upcoming fundraiser um, November 7th, so this week, um, thanks and giving, bringing people together to support the many vital services, particularly those which alleviate hunger for women and men living with HIV and AIDS. Uh, and it, they really focus on the effect that sequestration is having on um, HIV AIDS services, particularly here in the U.S. Many people may not be aware, under sequestration, the domestic HIV um, uh, budget was cut by $652 million. So, you know, what does that translate into? It translates into services in your local city and state 
that are now having to make some really tough choices. So Thanksgiving, uh, it will be held on Thursday, November 7th. If you're in the New York City area, um, this event will be held at 82 Mercer Street. That's between Spring and Grand and Grand Street. Um, so I encourage you to uh, go to the GMHC website, uh, find out about ticketing. Um, they'll have raffle prizes. Um, they have some great stuff, including a $2,500 shopping spree from the Apple Store, um, dinner at Zagat's Top Four Restaurant, um, and two matching Vespas. I don't even know what a Vespa is. They've got them. A, ve- got them. a, ve- a Vespa is like a, a, a scooter motorcycle that they use like over in Europe. That you see like Mr. Bean Drive? Oh, okay. You know, I, I, love Bean. <laughs> I have no clue what you're talking about, but I do love this <laughs> So I have two more events, and then I have uh, – I know we're running limited on time. So this week, also on November 7th, um, there will be a prep forum at the West Hollywood Library uh, Community Room. That's at 625 North San uh, Vente Boulevard in West, College, uh, West Hollywood. Um, and that's actually being put on by the Aid Project to L.A., Frontiers, City of West Hollywood, um, Dr. Michael Gottlieb, uh, HIV AIDS Information System, NMAC, Project Inform, and the Stigma Project. Um, and that's at 7.30 to 9 p.m. Um, at the West Hollywood Library. And then I will actually be flying out to Los Angeles for a prep event with um, the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, and that will be on the 9th. Uh, at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Tickets are free. Um, I encourage you, if you're in the L.A. area, um, come out. You know, we're going to be talking the good and the bad of PrEP. We know that not everybody is for PrEP, but we hope that during this event, um, if I present the facts and I present, you know, all of the data, hopefully I can sway just a few people. And, you know, I, I say it time and time again, I wasn't, a, a, a fan of PrEP initially, um, but the more data that I see, um, the more I'm convinced that it is a great prevention tool. It's a great asset that we have. Um, uh, so why not PrEP, right? So It's a great option. It is. Um, so, Robert, have you ever woke up uh, – well, you've, you've had to wake up, but have you ever woke <laughs> up and you had – a very inflammatory message on your Facebook. Has that ever happened yeah. to you? So Sometimes. this morning I woke, I, I woke up and my iPhone was just a buzzing. Someone, one of my friends, in a, uh, let's say, drunken state last night, had decided to post a comment and tag me in it and said, and the exact quote was, AIDS helped me lose 35 pounds. Wow. And, you know, at first I was just so astounded uh, that someone would have the audacity. Um, as time went on and more people kind of sounded their opinion, and it, there was a few ignorant comments, but by and large everybody was supporting that this was an ignorant comment. I had a conversation with this young man. Um, I, I do believe it was just a... You know, he was intoxicated. That's not absolving him of any wrongdoing. But, you know, 
But it really draws the question for me, is AIDS funny? Is HIV funny in our society? Have we reached that point where it's okay for us to laugh about 30 million people being infected with HIV, millions of people being, you know, uh, falling victim to AIDS-related illness? Have we reached that point, do you think? I, I, I don't think it's – I mean, I think since it's kind of thrust under the rug and people don't talk about it on a normal basis and people aren't dying, I guess people feel the need that they, they could actually, you know, joke about it and think it's funny. Like, there's that Family Guy episode where he sings um, I Got AIDS, the name of the song. You can go it on YouTube and check it out. I mean, it's, they try to make it funny, but, like, somebody like me, it's not funny. So, I don't know. I guess it kind of depends on where the joke is told and who's telling. You know, I, I guess so. And I think... Maybe sometimes people hear us joking about it as people living with it, uh, living with HIV, living with AIDS, and that is sometimes that's our coping mechanism. Yeah. But, you know, just because you hear someone and we're coping with it doesn't give you the right or the ability, unless you're living with it, to joke. You know what I'm saying? It, 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 it's, there's a Very fine sense. line there. So Definitely. you actually reminded me that I... I had a person that messaged me today um, that had came across my YouTube, and this was a very this was def- a one of a kind, um, a first for me. And I won't read the entire message, but basically this was a person who um, sent me a message, and um, basically she is pregnant, um, and she's recently started um, antiretroviral therapy. And she she asked about um, the safety of a tripla with her being with child. Um, and then she also talked about morning sickness and, and that she's really sick in the morning. And she asked me what, um, you know, what she could do. And, you know, I, I always preface every conversation with the same thing. Consult your doctor, right? I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor, uh, you know. We, although we know some things, we're not doctors. So, I and then can the play second doctor. point is, you can mind. No, you can. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing is, is that not everything that happens to us is related to HIV or the medications, right? So in this case, right. she's pregnant, and so we would also have to look at, you know, is it just morning sickness? So it was very interesting to get this question. Um, Maybe if we have callers later on that have encountered pregnancy and antiretrovirals, um, if you'd like to call in and, and share, 347-215-9442. And I believe you had something that you wanted to talk about, right? Yeah, I wanted to kind of uh, talk about something personal that happened to me um, over the weekend. I was working Saturday, and, you know, on a normal shift, I checked the bathroom a few times, and today, uh, I mean, on the Saturday I decided to go in and I was looking around and something made me look up at the picture because there's been graffiti on it before. And so something made me want to look at it. And I actually posted a photo of what I saw on my Facebook page. And it was basically somebody wrote the word AIDS fag on um, the picture in the bathroom. And it, it kind of threw me for a loop because I wonder, well, is that about me? You know, is somebody thinking that about me? Or is somebody, you know, just being ignorant and just writing stupid shit in the bathroom? You know what I mean? But it was just kind of suspicious because it was done with a marker, a Sharpie marker, and we actually had that at work. So 
Now I'm wondering, is this somebody I work with? You know what I mean? Or, or where could this happen? I don't even know how long it's been there. It could have been there for weeks. So I'm right. kind of, I don't know. I was kind of thrown back about it because I'm not used to uh, people being so, I guess, hateful straight to me. Um, so I, I didn't know, you know, what to what to make of it or, or why somebody would do that or if somebody actually meant that to be towards me. But, like, what would what do you do in that situation when you when you see something like that? I, I mean, I immediately took a photo of it and posted it on Instagram and Facebook. Like, I didn't know what else to do. I was like, this is what I have to deal with. Like, whether it was for me or not, it, it felt like it was like a dagger for me. It's tough, you know. It, 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 I think automatically, whether it was against you or not, that someone would actually articulate that on the wall in a public place is stigmatizing. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, it, it doesn't have to be perceived by you as being stigmatizing, but does somebody, could somebody else see, you know, AIDS bag on the, on the wall and... Do, then do they think that it's okay to talk like that or it's okay to put that stuff? Beyond that, why the hell are you writing on the wall, idiot? You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> you know, so you're a better man than my than I am because I would have flipped a, a wig. Yeah, well, I just kind of colored it in and made it a big square box up in the corner instead of the word. I mean, what was I going to okay. do? Uh, I, I live my life who I am, you know, just to make other people feel comfortable, so... If that makes other people feel uncomfortable that they need to write something like that, then they can go screw themselves. Uh, but another thing I wanted to talk about is over the last few weeks, right, the last few months, I actually uh, lost my SBVP or ADAP um, for my medication. So I just recently got back connected with it and, and kind of, I guess, re-enlisted re, uh, an ADAP or SBVP for um, my medications. And I'm back on my meds, but I was off for two and a half weeks and I could definitely feel like depression set in. I could feel that my body was different. Um, it was just, it has been a struggle for like the last month. I had to go and get like emergency medications from um, my case manager because I, I wasn't able to, with my work schedule, to fit it in to get there to fax my information over. It's like a pain in the ass. I'm kind of tired of it. You know, that's not easy. Uh, I know that you know, once I got employment and, you know, had insurance, I actually opted to basically fall out of case management just because it is um, it is so cumbersome to deal with all the paperwork and the meetings and, you know, financials and all that jazz. It's very, it's very challenging. I agree. I'm just glad to be back on them, so I'm back. <laughs> well, welcome back. Welcome back. Well, as we've been doing it every week, well, not every week, for the past couple of weeks, um, we have been picking a song that is popular um, in the Billboard Top 100. And uh, this week we pick uh, Royals from Lord, and I believe that uh, our, our guest is on the uh, phone line, so as soon as the song's over, we'll bring him on. This is uh, Royals. I've never seen a diamond in the flesh I cut my teeth on wedding rings in the movies And I'm not proud of my address In a torn up town, 
Live on Pause I Am Radio, Aaron Laxton, Robert Pliny, and we're about to be joined by one of the most amazing men that I've ever met. Um, Scott will actually be joining us um, in about five seconds, so please help me welcome Scott Kramer. Hello, Scott. Hello. <laughs> welcome back to the show, man. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I would have played Pat Benatar's Invincible instead of um, that song you just played, but uh, <laughs> that's just me, you know. <laughs> I, I was actually going to play I Need a Hero, a little bit of Footloose action, but I chose that. <laughs> that would have been good, too. <laughs> Ro- Robert well, never knows what I'm going to play. Scott so. actually does um, an AIDS walk uh, team, all right, and it's the Pat Benatar team. Is that what you call it? The, yeah, it's called Invincible, the Pat Benatar team. Um, and she supports it, and she knows about it, and uh, <laughs> so she's, um, you know, she, I suppose, is in a way active in the community as well. That's awesome. Yeah. How you been, Scott? 
I've been great. Um, I have been in private practice now for about six months, and um, I moved out of my agency work. I was working with LGBTQ young people, and um, yeah, I've just been doing my private practice work mostly with um, gay men, and uh, some of them having um, or living with HIV, uh, some of them newly diagnosed, some of them living with it for quite a long time, and also doing my high five group. I love that it's called High Five. Um, it said in your bio that uh, one of your goals um, as a social worker is to help empower people living with HIV and AIDS and to lead a more fulfilling life uh, free from stigma and fear. You accomplish this by uh, being a social worker um, who is both um, who is open to both clients and colleagues about uh, being gay um, and uh, living with AIDS since 1995. I it's, it's social workers like you that inspire me. I will actually be starting uh, my MSW in the fall. Um, and Congratulations. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's been a, a, a – I've been out in the field for a year. By the time I start my MSW program, I'll be in the field for two years. So I really feel like it's given me a firm foundation. I, I was chuckling when it said high five because that was – you know, I don't know about you, Robert, but we all have slang. And right. that's something that we we have slang. You know, we, I remember being negative, and you know, we would see somebody out in like the bar or whatever, and we'd be like, "Oh, he's slapping high five. You know, just that was our really? way of saying, "Oh, well, yeah." We'd say, "Oh, that person slapped high five, or they got the house in Vermont, <laughs> or whatever." You know. Yeah, yeah, and, house in Virginia. That's what I viewed. Well, I said something the other day, and. Uh, and I said something about booty flu. I don't know if you've ever heard this. I said, oh, that's, that person's got the booty flu. And they said, what? And I said, oh, don't pay no attention to me. I'm just, you know, I use, I'm related up. Um, so tell us about this high five group that you, you've got, Scott. Sure. Um, well, I have to thank my husband, Rex, for the name, because uh, he came up with it, and it seemed to fit really well. And... Um, the group started in the summer of 2010, and uh, I started the group because I wanted to have a place where gay men living with HIV could come and feel safe and feel secure in their status and talk about what's been going on and talk about any issues that might be coming up, like isolation, disclosure, dating, um, work issues, uh, and stuff like that. And I thought it would be uh, a really good thing to have. So what I did was I modeled it after a group that I had gone to when I was newly diagnosed um, in 1995. And uh, that group was called Young, Pos Young, Gay, and HIV Positive. And it met at the New York City LGBT Center on Friday nights. And it was great. Um, it saved my life. It uh, was my community for a little while. And it was fantastic. So, you know, flash forward all those years and I got my MSW and decided I wanted to do the same thing and give back, make sure that there was still a place where people could go. At the time, there were a couple of groups running. Um, I think one was on Thursday night and one was on Friday night. But I wanted to have a group uh, that met at a different time when no other groups were meeting um, in case both of those times weren't good for people. So I thought, 
Well, Sunday morning would be great. Um, and maybe after group, people could go out to brunch and continue to build bonds and form community that way. Uh, and it seems to have worked. Um, over three years, uh, I'm now getting between seven to ten people a week, and um, it's just been fantastic. I mean, people are able to come in there and talk about all sorts of issues that they're having. And, and uh, recently there was one um, older gentleman who was diagnosed on a Friday, and he called me up. He was referred to me by the center, and uh, he came to group on Sunday, and um, was able to express how he felt and really get huge amounts of support from the other members of the group. And that's really what it's all about. It's about giving support and getting support. So one of the challenges that we face here, a, a colleague of mine that works at a local ASO contacted me, and I had a group going for a while, but it wasn't successful, and we would, you know, every Thursday we would meet, and it was me and this my co-facilitator. And do you see that young people today, or, or those that are getting newly diagnosed, do you think they have a lot of support that they don't feel like they need that social support? Well, I think today, you know, it's so hard to say. I don't get a lot of young newly diagnosed people because I don't think that they necessarily are going to know about me and my group unless they call somebody and find out. You know, like, I don't know exactly how to get the word out there to every single person um, in New York City to let them know about my group uh, unless they ask somebody um, and then they can find out about it. But... uh, it's a challenge, you know. And I mean, here in New York, we have lots of different places where people could go who are newly diagnosed. People can go to GMHC. People can go to Callum Lord. People can go to the center. You know, so there's lots of different places here. Um, out where you are, there might, there might not be many different places. But what was the focus of your group? Was it just newly diagnosed or was it? No. We, uh, you know, we left it pretty uh, pretty open in regards to my co-facilitator is a long-term survivor. I'm newly diagnosed, I mean, relatively in the last three, well, two years. Um, uh-huh. And we were trying to establish us core members. And so my co-facilitator, he had a lot of knowledge from, you know, ACT UP days and the, the, the affinity groups and, and so forth. And so whenever we decided that, you know, we're going to just call off the group because no one's coming out. Um, and so when my colleague that I went to school with called me this week, he said, hey, are you still having this group? And I, I explained to him the, the barriers. and the, One of the huge barriers that we think presented itself was that this particular meeting was at the LGBT center here. And in order for people to come in, they had to sign in. Mm. And so and it, it clicked with him. He said, I've never really thought of where you have the meeting being a barrier. Um, And so I think for some, they might hear, oh, well, you can just start up a group and it's just that easy. But it's not that easy, is it, Scott? It's not that easy. And I think that, you know, when when we're thinking about starting a group, 
Um, of course, the idea that we're thinking of is a great idea, right? We would never think of a horrible idea. The idea has to be as important to potential members as it is to us. So uh, when, I started, when I started High Five, I had it as an open group. Um, people didn't have to pay anything. And uh, it was just sort of come and talk about HIV and what's going on in your life. And I was getting maybe three people, then I would get two people, then I would get five people, then I would get one person. And it was very inconsistent and very low turnout. And I, I kept it that way for a while because I thought, well, as long as I have at least one person, um, it's worth it you know, for me to have this group. Uh, but then I thought, I want more people to come to this group. So I said, what can I do to uh, make a small change or two to get more people to come. And so I changed it, and um, I made it a low-fee group instead of free. So now it costs $10 per person per session. And uh, also what I did was, um, what else did I do? Oh, and then I came up with monthly topics. So when I made those two changes, very small changes, more people started coming. Um, and like I said, you know, now I get uh, seven to ten people a week, and it's because of those small changes. So people have ownership of the group. They feel like it's important because they're paying for it. It's not a lot of money, but they're still paying for it, so they own it. And that does. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, Scott. That, that I just wanted to ask you real quick. So, do you actually? Now that you charge for the groups, you actually got a bigger turnout because it's... Exactly, yeah, yeah. And it seems a little bit counterintuitive, right? I mean, like, you're going to pay for a group. Well, people don't want to pay for a group. There's other options where um, there's free groups, you know, and that's fine. Um, but this one you have to pay for. And uh, they don't, the, the people that come don't mind paying for it. Um, and also, it might be a little bit of a stretch for some people because for some people, $10 is a lot of money. Um, and uh -huh. I understand that. And, uh, but there are some core members, and they come every single week. And what they tell me is that this is the only place where they can be themselves and talk about HIV. And another thing uh, that's really important about this group is um, today we were talking about isolation. And we were talking about how it can be difficult for some people even to just get out of the house. And so if they have a regular routine where they can at least try and get to my group once a week on a Sunday, that's a huge deal for them. And so if I can provide that for them, I will. And then they can come to group and feel less isolated and bond with other people. Today there were people that were exchanging phone numbers. Um, and it, it was beautiful, you know. And it wasn't exchanging phone numbers like, hey, you want a date? It was exchanging phone numbers because they wanted to bond in the community and feel less isolated and have somebody to talk to that might understand what they might be going through. This is exactly what I kind of needed to hear because I'm in the process now in Philly that my support group is kind of falling apart. Uh, the facilitator has, and it's kind of it's, it's shifting and it's changing. And, and one of the things that I promised is one of the goals that I've always had is to actually run my own support group. Because sometimes mm -hmm. I feel like, though it's great to have somebody who's a therapist run a support group, somebody who's actually living with a disease, you know, I feel like 
you know, who may not be a therapist may also have a, be a great asset to be a facilitator for a group. And so I, I actually want to start my own coming up here in Philadelphia, and I've been thinking of the time and the day of when to have it and when it will be good. And actually, you know, like you said, Scott, having Sunday and then going to brunch afterwards is a great thing because in my support group here in Philly, we would go eat afterwards. And it's kind of like a gathering, a social outing. And, and that's yes, kind yes. of what brought people back to the group every week was that social outing. So that Sunday brunch is kind of like a, it's kind of a good thing to kind of use to, to start a group to get people to come. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you have to mix in, um, you know, the discussion part, which can get heavy yeah. um, sometimes, especially when you're talking about these very real issues that people are having, um, and then mixing it with a little bit of a social atmosphere. And that might be the only kind of social atmosphere where people can, can let their guard down um, because if they're living with HIV, uh, they may not, sometimes if they're not out to people, if they haven't disclosed, their walls can be way up. And, you know, you're, when your walls are up like that, you're always on guard and you're always um, thinking about what you're saying because you don't want to give away that little piece of information um, that might make you feel really unsafe. And if you have that, social support where you can go out and have a meal with people and not worry about that so much, it's a huge relief, and it's, it's a wonderful thing, and I think it's really important for the community. I agree. I mean, support is the most important thing, and, and people fear going to support groups. I know when I went to my very first support group, Scott, I felt like I immediately kind of put my blinders up and was like, I don't relate to these people. These guys are older than me. We have nothing in common. You know what I mean? Like I was immediately looking at the differences. And then once I really felt like I needed the support, because mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody in Philadelphia who was HIV positive and who was gay and who would be friends with me and would want to share experiences. And now after finding this support group in Philly, I kind of feel like I have a family of positive people that I didn't have before. And that's kind of what these support groups do. Yeah, and it's really nice. I mean, the, one, one great thing is that, you know, we have our support group in Paz I Am. I mean, that's like the biggest support group around, right? Um, right. You can go on there any time of day or night, and you can go into any of the, you know, you can go into the chat room, or you can go into any of the different groups and post a message or just read old messages and, and see what people are going through. And that is huge for people that can't, um, get out and go to places or don't feel comfortable or, you know, maybe maybe that's the thing that, that says to them, hey, you know, I really like this community. Maybe I can get a community that's not virtual. Maybe I can actually meet, meet real live people. Um, and so I feel like to have Pause I Am and then to also have a real support group that people can get out and go to um, complement each other so well. Um, it's just a, it's a great thing. And I always tell people about Paz I Am because I think it's, uh, I think it's one of those places that's really unique um, and where people can go and, and find out a lot of things. And uh, it's not just things that you can read on the Internet. And uh, it says, well, these are the bad things about taking medication. But if you go into one of the groups that's like, I take a tripla, you can see what people's real experiences are. And that's just as important as going to a support group. 
how do you handle uh, uh, substance abuse or, or, or addiction? Because I know for me personally, as a person who's in recovery, um, and, and I was having this conversation this week, you know, we a day with HIV was just uh, last month, and those pictures are being released. You can go online at adaywithhiv.org um, and then positively where those pictures are coming out. And, and my picture this, this month was with the uh, NA book. Um, and so for me, sobriety is very important. Um, it goes hand in hand with living with HIV because I don't know, it's hard to explain. Anybody who's in recovery knows that um, it's it's just our everything. So mm-hmm. for you, um, obviously without breaking anybody's confidentiality or anything like that, you know, do you, is that an issue that comes up often with your with your group? Is it something that from time to time it will be brought up or, or what would you say about that? Um, in the group, I would say there are some members that come that are in recovery, um, maybe some that aren't in recovery yet uh, and some that have been in recovery, you know, for quite some time. Um, and the recovery piece really is something that they need to deal with on their own. So in other words, when they come to the high five group, it's really talking about HIV, and it's, it's um, pretty specific to HIV. So if somebody had, um, you know, if someone came in and said, oh, I had a really rough weekend because I used and um, went into their whole uh, sort of recovery 12-step um, way of talking, then that probably wouldn't be completely appropriate, but they might say, um, oh, I used this weekend and I forgot to take my meds and, you know, maybe the reason I used was because I was feeling isolated about my HIV. Sort of as long as it relates to HIV, then that's a good thing. Um, You know, I think that many people that come to group are in individual therapy also, and most people that come to group, if um, if they have addiction issues, are already in recovery. I would say most of them are. But not everyone who goes to high five um, is in recovery or needs to be in recovery. Right. <laughs> so, you know, some are, some aren't. And, and that's, that's sort of the nature of, um, of an open group. It's definitely challenging. And, I, you know, I've... I'll be the first to admit I um, and I actually I talk very candidly on on all you know Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Um, you know I'm a uh, I'm living with complex post-traumatic stress, um, and I'm in therapy once a week. And so I think for any of our listeners out there, you know we have to look at the whole um, the whole person, um, whether that's spirituality, whether that's emotional, whether that's addiction, um, whatever that may be. Um, and so I really like what you're saying that, you know, we're, your high five group is focusing on specifically HIV. If these other things get, get brought up as a, as a, you know, having a latent effect on your HIV, then it's getting, that's very interesting. I, I've never thought of that, that being so specific um, and keeping the group on task, that, that sounds very important. Yeah, I mean, that's what we try to do because if it gets too um, far away from HIV, then it starts to crumble a little bit and we forget why we're there. Um, So, of course, you know, like, for example, 
today was the start of um, our November topic of empowerment and what and you know what empowerment means and how we can feel empowered in our positive status. Um, but when we did our opening round, what I heard was from uh, probably half the members of the group today. What I heard was um, issues around isolation and not being able to get out. So we switched the topic for today, um, and after checking with all the group members to make sure it was okay, um, we started talking about isolation, and we changed it for today um, because it seemed like a topic that was affecting most of the group, and uh, you know we went with it. And so what happened was the people that were dealing with isolation right now were talking about what that was like for them in the moment and in the here and now, and other people who weren't dealing with isolation right now were able to chime in and tell them how they had dealt with isolation issues in the past. So all of that incorporates empowerment because people were supporting and being supported. And that's what empowerment is really all about, right? Um, so eventually, you know, we sort of got there, um, but we definitely changed the focus from empowerment to isolation while making sure that the overarching theme was HIV. So it was uh, isolation around HIV and then it's empowerment about living with HIV, you know. So it's always bringing it back. How do you continue to get people to, to come back? What is What do you think it is that um, kind of keeps them coming back? Is it is it the connections? You know, is it is it the topics that you have? What is it, do you think that is that, that keeps them wanting to come back and find more support? Because, like you said, there's multiple options out there for them to go and find support. What is it do you think that is specifically about your group, about the High Five group? Um, I think there's a few things why people would keep coming back to my group, uh, the High Five group, and uh, you know, although I say my group, it's really their group. Um, <laughs> the group members really own the group. But um, what keeps them coming back, I think, is a sense of community. I think it also has to do with the time of the group. Um, I think it has to do with the bonding that certain members have made with each other um, that keeps them coming back. That might be the only time during the week that these people get to see each other. Um, I think it has to do with uh, also my facilitation style just might be different than someone else's. Um, and some, you know, it's, it's like when you're when you're going to a group, you're gonna like the you're gonna like the therapist or facilitator, or you might not. And that's not to say that one's better or worse. It's just to say that um, you know you might appreciate someone more or less. And so I think all those things. Um, are what keep people coming back. Yeah, well, I think that I think that's great, and, and this is such like great knowledge for me, considering I actually am in the process of wanting to start this group here in Philly and get something started. So having your brain to pick and and and, and ours is, is great. So let's uh, we're top of the hour. So let's uh, run a little PSA here, and then we will come back with Scott Kramer. And Scott, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about. Um, your diagnosis and what that process was like for you. Sounds perfect. All right. All right. We'll be right back with Scott Kramer in a moment. 
Here's your cappuccino, miss. Great, thanks. Coffee with cream? Look, almost half of all new STD infections are among young people 15 to 24 years old. Yet most infections have no symptoms. The only way to know for sure is to be tested. So GYT, get yourself tested. Visit GYTnow.org to find an STD testing location near you. A message from CDC. Did you know that many people who are infected with STDs show no symptoms? When left untreated, STDs can spread back and forth between partners. If your partner has recently been diagnosed with an STD, make sure you get tested too. Talk with your healthcare provider about STDs and testing. Visit gytnow.org to find an STD testing location near you. Remember, all STDs are treatable and most are curable. A message from CDC. And we are back live. This is Robert Brining, Aaron Laxton, Scott Kramer. Guys, I am excited to have you all back with us for the second part of this interview. Excellent. Yay. So Scott, take <laughs> so, Scott, take us a little bit back. Tell us what it was like back in uh, 1995 when you were diagnosed. What was um, the process like for you? What made you go get tested? Uh, it was so crazy back then. Um, I, and I actually really didn't get tested. Uh, the way it happened was I had been coughing for like uh, four months. Um, I just had this horrible cough that wouldn't go away. And uh, I think... I went to the doctor, and this was, you know, sort of towards the end of 1994. Um, I went to the doctor, and then they saw some uh, spots on my uh, chest X-ray, and then I think they did more tests or something. It's a little bit foggy, but uh, then I went on a vacation with my friend Pam, and we went to the Bahamas, and because I was like, I don't care if I'm coughing, I'm going to the Bahamas. And uh, so we went, and it was beautiful and and amazing. Um, And it was warm, right, because it's tropical. But I couldn't get warm. I was freezing the whole time I was there. And uh, that was for a few days. And then I got back, and I think maybe... I think uh, we lost Scott. So uh, let's uh, play another quick uh, little PSA here. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll have Scott... uh, answering uh, all that information. So we'll be right back. Hi, what's up? This is Britney Spears for LifeBeat, the music industry fights AIDS. HIV, the virus that causes AIDS, is hitting young women hard. If you choose to have sex, be safe. Use protection every time. Help support LifeBeat Zero Transmission 2001 campaign by not getting infected with HIV. Don't be a zero. And we are back with Scott Kramer. Scott, you with us? Yep, sorry about that. Cell phone. That's all right. Um, so anyway let's see oh okay so then like in February of 1995 I was admitted to the hospital with TCP pneumonia and had like 52 T cells and needed a transfusion and all that kind of craziness Um, and then I needed like 21 days of at home uh, treatment like IV medications and stuff like that so I didn't get tested. Uh, when I found out I had HIV is when I found out that I had PCP pneumonia and fifty mm. T cells, and that's an automatic AIDS diagnosis, and uh, that's when I found out. And, and so, how did you uh, tell your... Go ahead, Aaron. 
Oh, I, no, I didn't say anything. Oh, okay. I was going to um, say... Okay, Scott. It was, like, just kind of a... It was a crazy time. Um, and in some ways, I feel like it was probably a good thing that I didn't know uh, beforehand, even though I was, you know, sort of left with really low T-cells and, uh, and pneumonia, which killed a lot of people. Um, I feel in some ways that I was really lucky because had I found out maybe a few years earlier, I would have been on AZT monotherapy, which probably would have not been such a good thing, uh, which, you know, we all found out later. Um, And then the year after that is when protease inhibitors came out. So while I was on AZT and um, D4T and some of those earlier drugs for uh, about a year, it switched um, pretty quickly. And the protease inhibitors, when those came out, uh, that's when a lot of people, when they were sort of on death's door, they started taking protease inhibitors, and two weeks later, they were, like, totally fine and, and wonderful and amazing again. So uh, that's what saved a lot of people's lives, and that's probably what saved my life, too. What was your, your knowledge, you know, so if we think back to, you said you were diagnosed around 90, in 95, or yeah, you, you yeah. became ill. So... Right, I believe right around 92, 93, Freddie Mercury had just passed, um, which would later be revealed by his estate that he um, had AIDS. Um, there were other notable, Arthur Ashe uh, passed away from AIDS. Obviously, ACT UP was very, very alive and well in New York. So what was your knowledge? Uh, did you have a good working knowledge of HIV and AIDS or, or, or tell us a little bit about that? Well, I, at that time I wasn't a social worker. Um, I was a graphic designer for a publishing company and, uh, I was just living the life of a 20 something. And, um, I was just going out and having fun in New York, (laughs) you know? So I don't remember at the time, that there was so much information about HIV, um, and so I don't I don't think that there was a whole big thing about getting tested. There may have been, but I don't remember seeing a lot of that at that point. Um, and so my knowledge base was not great. It really wasn't. I mean, I didn't know anything about medications. Uh, I didn't know anything about lifespan. I didn't know anything really about anything um, except maybe what the mainstream was seeing on television. That's really what I knew, um, which wasn't a lot, and a lot of it was inaccurate. And, uh, but I quickly learned a lot. Um, at the time when I was diagnosed, um, they had a lot of, mm, I would say, sort of medical meetings at, like, NYU and Columbia and places like that. And so there weren't that many medications out. So it was easy to research all of these medications and sort of know what they were doing and seeing what was in the pipeline. And it was fascinating and and exciting and scary all at the same time. Um, It's also when I started reading Paz Magazine and I saw Sean Decker on the cover and all that kind of thing. And and they used to have um, Paz, um, like Paz events at convention halls. I can't remember what they were called, but it was really cool. Um, 
And so the time was really a very different time. Um, I never got involved in ACT UP or anything activist. Um, After I got diagnosed, I just wanted to be healthy and live my life. And that's what I did for many years. And um, it wasn't until 2004, which was like nine years later, that I decided to go back to school to get my social work degree and uh, try and do something good for the community. And, and here I am today talking to, you know, you two amazing men that are doing a lot for the community too. And, uh, you know, in some ways I think that if I didn't have... HIV, I may not be doing these things that I'm so passionate about. Who knows if even I would have found my passion, what I'm excited about. Um, But the work that I do, I love it. I love every day going to my office and uh, working with these wonderful, wonderful clients, um, whether they're HIV positive or not. Um, And every day, uh, I try and do something a little bit activist-y. Um, and so today I even, uh, I noticed that I, I read a brochure uh, about an agency in New York City, and uh, it's a big brochure that has lots of, uh, it's a big agency that has lots of services, and I noticed that they didn't even mention HIV and as one of their services. And I thought, that's not right <laughs> at all. Um, and so I wrote to the executive director, and I was like, what's going on here? This isn't right. You need to destroy all those brochures, put HIV in, and then print them again. <laughs> you know, so it's things like that. I'm sort of, uh, uh, I guess, policing maybe some of the, some of the agencies um, in New York City uh, to make sure that they're doing what they promised to do and help our community the way they're supposed to be helping. You know, it's actually very interesting. I had a, a uh, conversation with a Twitter follower this week. Actually, I didn't have a conversation. Um, but this person, it was quite apparent that this person was very, you know, somewhat, some might say bitter or jaded. I'm not saying that. Some might say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this person made a very valid point. And this particular person is from the southern region of the U.S. And they went on to say basically what you just said. Someone has to police, you know, a lot of the ASOs and these organizations have really grown and morphed into something bigger than what they were intended. Most ASOs were founded by friends and family, people that were dying of AIDS-related illnesses. And if gone unchecked, then sometimes their missions can morph way outside of what they were intended to do, and that's to serve those living with HIV um, and, and AIDS. So kudos to you for doing that. I, you know, I think it's a very uh, admirable task as well as cumbersome. <laughs> well, thanks. I mean, um, I feel like anytime we see something that's not quite right, um, I like to question it. Um, and you know, the answer could come back, oh, maybe, you know, it was just an oversight or we didn't realize or something. Or it could come back as, yeah, we had to do it because of funding or whatever the reason. But there's always, it's always okay to question something, I think. Um, it's the answer that sort of reveals what's going on. Um, and then you have to take that and 
then do what you will, uh, whether that's continue to support an agency or refer people to an agency or work with an agency or continue to fundraise for an agency. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot involved in that. Um, and I think that, you know, nonprofits depend on their funding, and so everything's about that. Um, but even still, the main stakeholders are the clients. And so I always have said that wherever I work, my clients are the boss. <laughs> they're the ones that are calling the shots. They're the ones that I work for, and they're the reason that I'm there. And so if my clients aren't being served uh, in the best possible way, then I'm not doing a good job. And so uh, I feel that the agencies that I work with, uh, if they're not serving me right, then they're not doing their job, and they need to know that. I'm just amazed. Um, you know, we, we hear of this amazing work that you're doing in your, New York. We heard about uh, Kick-Ass, uh, which is on the West Coast. That's long-term survivors, uh, which Tez Anderson actually tweeted at. Uh, me and you, Robert, and Paz, I am the Twitter handle that the next town hall is coming up on the 20th of November. Um, you can go to letskickass.org and look at the events. But it's really people like you, Scott, and Tez, and individuals in these particular locales that have said, we're going to do something. We see something that's not being done, and we want to step up to the plate and, and, and do it. But that's not an easy cross to bear, is it? Um, I don't know. I, you know, I just get up in the morning and I just, I just do it. Um, I don't really think, oh, God, I have all this stuff to do today. I might make a to-do list, but um, I don't really feel like it's a huge burden. I just feel like it is what it is. Um, and you've got to do what you've got to do. So I don't necessarily feel like it's a big, like it's a big, huge burden. I know that I'm not doing it all alone. I know that there right. are, you know, amazing people out there that are doing stuff um, that's just as good or, or better than what I'm doing. But we're all in it together. And I think that knowing that and reminding myself of that, that's what keeps me going. And that's what makes me feel uh, not quite as overwhelmed as thinking I'm doing it all by myself because I'm really not. I never okay, so here, in this. here's a trick question for you. You don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Oh, a trick question? Am I going to have to put a giraffe as my profile picture? <laughs> uh, no, you don't have to do that. Uh, <laughs> so where does the therapist go for support? Where does where Scott do I, go for support? Where do I go for support? Um, my husband is an amazing support. Um, my family, my friends. And uh, my own therapist. You know, I mean, there's, it's, it's the place, I go to the same places where everyone else goes. Um, but the thing is, is that I'm lucky to have all of those supports. So not everyone has a loving husband or uh, spouse. Not everyone has a family that they can go to. Not everyone has friends that they can talk to. Um, and not everybody can afford therapy. So... Uh, mm -hmm. I feel that you have to find help somewhere. And in many places there are LGBT centers, you know, where people can go where they might have free counseling or HIV support groups. Um, and 
if there's nothing like that in your area where you can go, go to Paz I Am because that's always there. That is true. Or start your own support group in your area if you feel the need for it. It's important for, you know, sometimes we need that absence of something. I mean, that's why this radio show was started because nobody was having the conversation in my neighborhood and I wanted to have the conversation. And if you see the need for that support group, start that support group in your neighborhood. You know, that absence kind of makes us feel empowered to, to, to do things. And that's what you've done, Scott. Well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I feel that, you know, even the people that talk about isolation in group, I say, you know, one of the things that you can do is write to the strength in numbers. There's that sin, strength in numbers. I think there's, uh, it's uh, online like a Yahoo group, and they mm-hmm. have one in every big city. And uh, so here in New York, you know, it's, it's very active. But anybody can post a message on one of these things and say, hey, I'm going to be at the museum on Tuesday at 5. Anybody want to join me? And, you know, you may get people to join you. And that's an awesome thing. So I just use, everybody should, not should, everybody um, has the ability to use all the resources that are available to them. Um, and that could even be as simple as calling in and asking a question on the radio show, you know, to talk to a live person. It's really important to be able to do that sometimes. You know, that's a great segue. I'd like to remind any of you that are currently on hold, if you'd like to speak to Scott or Robert or myself, um, please press 1 to let us know that you would like to talk to us, or you may also call in to 347-215-9442. This is Aaron Laxalon, i Robert Brining, and we have the fabulous and amazing Scott Kramer with us. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so One thing I did want to say is um, another <laughs> thing that I'm sort of becoming like this activist. It's so weird. Um, but I, I thought, you know, World AIDS Day, December 1st, is on a Sunday this year, the same day that I do, um, that I facilitate High Five. And I thought, wow, well, I should do something for World AIDS Day this year. And so um, I know you guys had Peter Staley on last week, and that was an awesome interview. Um, so I decided to show how to survive a plague. And uh, so I rented a room at um, New York City's LGBT Center, which is a great organization. And um, I'm going to – I had to buy a license, actually, to buy uh, – to show this film. And it was not cheap. Um, but now I can show the film publicly. And uh, – that's what I'm going to do for World AIDS Day. I'm, I'm showing a film. I'm projecting it onto a screen, and then we're going to have time to have a discussion afterwards. So it's so exciting that I get to do that and, and see all these wonderful and amazing people who led the early days of the AIDS epidemic, um, some of whom are still around, and uh, make sure that people remember that, this World AIDS Day, and they can build on that. And you know that there's a future. There you go. If you're in New York, you have something to do on World AIDS Day. You can go uh, see Scott. And I'm Scott. I'm sure you'll be posting information on your website, which is scottacramer.com, correct? Yes, yes. There's already a page for uh, how to survive a plague there. Um, and so, yeah, just click on survive a plague on my website, and uh, you'll see the information there. That's awesome. That's awesome because we're always looking for something different to do, um, you know, on World AIDS Day. And I know in, in Philly there's a lot of the same events that happen. The local ISOs and the local testing centers kind of get together and, and set up tables, and then there's events 
to to have a screening of of an, such an amazing film that's educational and um, really open the eyes of the youth of you know the LGBT community. I think um, it's a great opportunity, and people shouldn't pass it, especially if you live in New York. Yeah, there's you know there's so much to do here in New York um, that sometimes it could feel overwhelming. Um, like, <laughs> what do I do? There's so much to do. I don't even know what to do. Um, but take a look around, and uh, if you're in New York, there's always something to do. So make a little to-do list, and then check off one thing each weekend. It's easy. It's a piece of cake. Um, so, <laughs> you know, lots of times the World AIDS Day, we don't find out about a whole bunch of activities until, like, the week before. Um, so that can be a little challenging, but um, I think there's, there's always stuff to do. There's always stuff to do. And does the High Five Support Group meet in the same location every Sunday, or does it change? Or <laughs> Well, um, it meets at the LGBT Center in New York City every Sunday from 11.30 until 12.45 uh, currently. Um, in the future, the location may change um, because I just got a new office space that's bigger than my current oh. private practice office. And I may be able to, thank you, thank you. Uh, I may be able to uh, fit enough chairs in that space to have it there. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out exactly what I'm going to do. I have to wait until the office is um, open and available to me so I could just see how many chairs fit. But for now, it's, it's at the center, yeah. I think that's awesome. And people can find more information, obviously, going to your website, which is uh, www.scottacramer.com. Scott, thanks yeah. so much for sitting in with us for the hour. Um, it was great speaking with you. I can't wait to see you again. I know I missed you when you came to Philly last time, but we're going to have to get together um, soon because actually me and Aaron are going to plan a trip to New York, and uh, we'll have to make a, you know, time to, to get and see you and Rex. Absolutely, and, and we'll have some uh, good New York bagels while you're here, unless you're sick of bagels yeah. already. <laughs> I can always eat a bagel. <laughs> Me too, unfortunately. Uh. <laughs> well, it was great to so people, you guys. It was, it was people awesome can find you on you. Uh, Twitter, right? Twitter and Facebook and Instagram? Absolutely, yeah. At Twitter, I'm Kramer LCSW. On Facebook, I don't know what I am. Um, but <laughs> you could probably find me there uh, somehow. I'll try and find it now. And, um, yeah, I'm all over the place. But you, I think the best place probably to find me is uh, my website, scottacramer.com. There you have it, Scott. You have a great night, and tell Rex hello. Okay. Keep, keep doing great work, you guys. Thanks, Scott. All right. Take good care. All right. Bye-bye. All right, Aaron, are you there? I am here, Robert. I love Scott. He's he's such an incredible man. I remember um, when I uh, filmed that uh, that P, that kind of like I guess a PSA or mini web series with on Giant and Logo. I got to go up there and actually meet him, me and my friend Tracy, uh, for the first time, and we had lunch with him and his husband Rex, and it was just a, it was such a cool time. You know, it was like my first experience meeting another Pazayemer. Um, off the website, and it was just a really cool experience, and I, I cherish that because he's been one of those activists that have always been, uh, you know, open arms and, and, and very uh, supportive to 
pause I am in the radio show. So I, I, I love him. He's a great man. It, it, it's always inspiring, you know, as we we can never take it for granted. You know, the guests that we speak with are just average people um, who have been affected or infected uh, with HIV, and they have made a determination that they are going to change their community, change their cities, change their states. You don't have to be a rock star activist on every newspaper or magazine or or whatever. You can just be a person that says, you know, I'm going to do something and I'm going to reach out to people living with this disease. And I, each guest that we talk to, I mean, that is the thing that always strikes me um, the most. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. So it's very, uh, it sounds like he's got some great stuff going on uh, uh, with the... Uh, how to survive a plague. Obviously, I would uh, suggest anybody, if you're in the New York area and you're looking for something to do on World AIDS Day, please check out um, Scott's group. Also on Sundays, um, if you're looking for a group, uh, you need a home group, um, I would suggest the High Five, um, uh, Scott's High Five group. Sounds like a great core group of people um, that uh, you can really feel at home with. Um, Just can't say enough good things about Scott. Yeah, you know, it's tough. A lot of people are hesitant about going to support groups. And these support groups, you know, if you give it the opportunity, it can change your life and it can create a whole a whole mountain full of support for you and, and, and friends and family. And, and that's what my support group has done for me. And I'm sure the people who go to the High Five support group, it's done for them. And, you know, that's why these groups are created for, for us to find that, that support and that family that, that we're, you know, maybe missing in our in our real life. So I think Scott's doing great work. So if people want to find more about Robert Brining online, how do they do that? They can go to posim.org and find everything they need to know about me. Look me up on uh, Facebook, Robert Brining as well. And for me, they can go to Twitter and Facebook. That's Aaron Lacks on Facebook and Twitter. And you may also check out my videos on YouTube. I would also say, you know, we're getting into the holiday season. And it's a time where a lot of people isolate. I know Scott spoke some about isolation. It's a very real uh, topic, and maybe we'll have to cover that closer to the holidays. Um, yeah. Please don't isolate yourself. You're not alone. Uh, you do not have to um, you know, turn to drugs or alcohol or, God forbid, suicide or, or suicidal thoughts. Um, there are people such as Scott and ourselves and, and others that are uh, in your city and state that, that care about you and, and are, that want to be there for you um, through your diagnosis and through living. Mm. So we wanted to, uh, as we end the show today, we wanted to play the uh, clip for How to Survive a Plague. And um, that's basically going to you know, draw the, the uh, show to an end. It's been an amazing hour and a half. Again, the time just flies whenever we, we get to talking. Um, do you have any anything any parting words for the listeners, Robert? Just don't be afraid to to, uh, to look for support. It's out there. You just got to look for it. All right. We will talk to you again next week. Okay, Robert. All right. Sounds good. Uh, who do we have on next week, real quick? Uh, next week we have uh, Damon Jacob, who is um, the founder of the uh, Prep um, online group on Facebook. Um, rethinking prep 
um, prep facts, rethinking uh, permission and sex. Uh, he is an author and uh, an activist, long, long-time activist, 20-year activist uh, for HIV and um, prevention strategies. So that'll be an amazing show to have. Yeah, that, that sounds awesome. Real quick, I do want to uh, tell people, if you're on Facebook, uh, check out my friend's new magazine that just started. It's an online magazine called Gay, G-A-Y, and it stands for Geared Around You. So if you put, type in Gay Magazine on Facebook, like that page, and uh, you'll be seeing some, uh, some, some of me in there at some point. So uh, stay tuned. All right. We'll see you next week, Robert. Sounds good. Have a good night. Plague. We are in the middle of a plague. 40 million infected people is a plague. AIDS is now the leading cause of death. Demonstrators blocked access to buildings. Coalition of gay groups came to shut down the FDA. This government has the resources to deal with the AIDS epidemic, and they won't do it unless we force them. We want everybody to join us. We are trying to arouse to anger and action. Until we get our acts together, we are as good as dead. I started to look for treatments to help save their life. I wish they'd shut their mouths and get their mentality out of their crotches. There was nothing coming out of our government's efforts. But no, they march in the streets. They defy you. I decided to become a full-time AIDS activist. They all had to become scientists to some degree. We can take a drug, your test tube, to the market in under two years. This total reluctance on your part is going to get you nowhere. It'll end up killing us. The death rate just kept on climbing. It became very clear that you weren't going to mess with these people. I am going to fight them. My patients are going to fight them. I don't trust them. We need our government to save our lives. This isn't going to be cured for years and years and years. I'm going to die from this. This has been another broadcast of Pause I Am. Pause 2.0, it's brand new format. 90 minutes brought to you each Sunday where we cover gossip, entertainment, policy, politics, you name it. If it's important to you, if it's important to the HIV community, we will talk about it. And if you don't hear something that you want to be talked about, shoot us a message. Hit us up on Facebook. Robert Brining, Aaron Matthew Laxon, and also Pause I Am Radio. Be sure to like that. And if you haven't done so yet, check out pauseim.org. That's pauseim.org. We're in this thing together, and we will be here until the end, until a cure is found, to be pointing out injustices, 
to be pointing out stigma, to highlight people who are doing the right thing each and every day, to highlight people who are not letting HIV dominate their lives, ruin their lives. This is your 90-minute dose of hope. But we want each one of you not to stop believing. Keep coming back. Keep listening. So next week, this is Aaron Laxon for Robert Brining. Signing off. Good evening. <laughs>